Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast before game two of the first round series between the Cleveland Cavaliers and the New York Knicks. I'm Hayden Grove, joined, as always, by our Cavaliers beat reporter, Chris Fedor. And Chris, I mean, we talked about a lot after uh, Saturday's game, but, Mm -hmm. you know, they've had a couple days to digest what happened. You were out at Cleveland Clinic course today in Independence. What was your feel? on kind of how they responded to game one. Yeah, the sense that I got, Hayden, is that they feel some of the issues that popped up, not all of them, but some of the issues that popped up in game one that contributed them losing the first game of the series um, were self-inflicted and correctable. Um, Now it's up to them to go out and make those changes and execute, but I just didn't sense any kind of panic I didn't sense any kind of worry. I think they understand that it's going to be a long series. I think they were prepared for the potential of a long series. And I don't think they're going to overreact just because they lost the first game in the series. Yeah. What was their, what was the vibe? I mean, was it kind of happier or, you know, kind of a beat? I mean, was, did you sense a tenseness or a, um, anything that was kind of different to what you would expect from, you know, a practice the day before a game? No, I didn't sense that anybody was tense. In fact, you know, Jared Allen stopped short of saying that it was loose because I don't think he wanted it to come across that kind of way, that they were joking and having a good time um, being down 0-1 in a series. Um, but he basically said that, you know, um, they understand the things that, they didn't do well um, and they're not bogged down by the fact that they lost a couple of days ago and they're ready and they feel like they've good, got a good chance to to come back and, and play better in game two. So we kind of, you know, we, we kind of talked about it after game one, um, but what is it specifically? I mean, we talked about a lot of different things, you know, when, when Jared Allen says, you know, we know what we need, need to do. Um, when he talks about himself, I'm sure he's talking about, you know, a little bit more physicality. Uh, but as the, t- the team as a whole, I mean, maybe we're maybe we like in the media, we're overreacting a little bit because there was a four point loss. I mean, it wasn't a good game by the Cavaliers by any stretch, but, you know, they were right in it. Um, I, I don't think there need to be massive changes, if you will, to, you know, to everything. But I think certainly the physicality needs to be ramped up. And I think certainly the bench needs to play better. 
Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. That's the hard thing about these adjustments. I I'm curious from you because I sent out um, a text to my Cavs insiders today just mm -hmm. about if they were going into game two against the Knicks, um, what adjustments would they make? What adjustments do they want to see from mm -hmm. the Cavs? Like, if you could make one adjustment for them, what would it be? I mean, I think the easiest adjustment, you know, is to maybe add a little bit in the rotation and or change up the rotation a little bit. Um, you know, Ricky Rubio, like you said, didn't play very well at all. Maybe mm -hmm. just kind of stagger him and uh, Darius and Donovan a little bit more and and maybe, you know, f allow one of them to kind of carry the ball up uh, in the second unit. Maybe, like you said, like Donovan Mitchell. Um, I, you know, I would think about playing a guy like uh, uh, Lamar Stevens or a guy like Danny Green. Um, maybe mm -hmm. just change it up a little bit. I know that n neither guy is, um, you know, has had a huge role or much mm -hmm. of any role in the regular season, but it is the postseason and things happen. You know, the first thing that comes to my mind was, is Dante Jones in game six of the 2016 NBA Finals. I mean, hadn't played much all year and comes in, five, gives them five great minutes. Um, mm -hmm. You know, sometimes that's all it takes. So that that would be my kind of thing. I think the biggest thing is, and it's not really so much an adjustment, it's just, you know, they need to be ready to match the physicality that Julius Randle is going to give to them. Um, you know, that goes for Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. They cannot play the way that they played on um, on Saturday night. I think that would be my kind of three key things if 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 we're talking in the uh, in the realm of adjustments. So the hard thing when it comes to Danny Green is that defensively, yeah, defense, I, don't, yeah. I don't think there's anybody in this series that he can guard consistently. Yeah, we talked about it a little bit the other night. Like maybe he shades off of R.J. Barrett and he gives them the Isaac Okoro treatment from three point range and just kind of like dares him to take those shots. Um, maybe Josh Hart being doubtful for tomorrow's game yeah. changes the, the matchups a little bit. Um, again, him not playing would be a huge boost for the Cavs. It would be a huge hit for the Knicks. Um, they were 17 and eight with Josh Hart in the lineup in the regular season after the trade. They went on a nine game winning streak immediately after trading for him. So maybe that changes some of the rotations and some of the lineups and some of the matchups a little bit. I don't know who would benefit um, from a Knicks standpoint, who would get more minutes or who would be inserted into the rotation. I don't know their team well enough to know that. Um, but the Cavs have to win this series on defense. Mm -hmm. I think we can both admit that, right? Like that's who they are. That's at the core of who they are. Um if they're going to pull this series out, you're going to look at it and say they were the better defensive team. They found a way to slow down Jalen Brunson. They found a way to make things difficult on, on Julius Randle. Um, Evan Mobley played like the defensive player of the year candidate that he was. He finished third tonight in that. Yep. Um, and I just don't think a defense first team can afford to give a lot of minutes to somebody like Danny Green. Mm -hmm. And I would also say that I don't know, like, if you're talking about skill set, if you're talking about the reasons to go to Danny Green, I'm not sure that there are that many more reasons to go to Danny Green than Jetty Osman at this point. Yeah. And I think Jetty showed at the end of game one that he can at least stay in front of Jalen Brunson and make it tough on Brunson. He wasn't going to stop Brunson. He didn't stop Brunson. But I think he can at least make it tough on him on the defensive end of the floor while providing the same off-ball movement 
spacing and three-point shooting that Danny Green could if you're going to pull that trigger. Right. Yeah, I mean, I'm curious to your end as well in regards to the um, adjustments. What adjustments do you think they could take um, going into game two? I would try and screen more with Jared Allen than Evan Mobley. Um, I think... Look, I think coming into this series, Evan Mobley was my X factor. There's no doubt about it. But I just think the way that the Knicks are going to continue to guard him in this series, I think it may behoove them a little bit more to screen with Jared Allen and see if they can pull Mitchell Robinson away from the rim. I thought he had quite an impact on the game offensively and defensively. And I think if Jared's the one who is screening then maybe Mitchell Robinson's a little bit further away. Maybe the Cavs can get some more shots off before he can get closer to the basket. So that's one thing that I would make. And I would try and pull Isaac Okoro out of the corners. Um, And I would not take him out of the lineup, but I would try and pull him out of the corners and allow him to be like closer to the wing. And if they start to trap Darius, if they start to trap Donovan, then Isaac becomes more of an outlet and maybe more of like a playmaker as opposed to just a guy who's camped in the corner waiting. I think if you're going to have Isaac camped in the corner waiting, that's going to hurt your spacing. And if you're going to have Evan Mobley like out near the perimeter or in that general vicinity, that might hurt the spacing as well, because I just don't think the Knicks have any respect for either guy out that far away from the basket. So I just think you have to try and turn Isaac more into a playmaker if you can, as opposed to a standstill shooter and maybe try and get some more space and some more movement that sort of way. I guess my counter at playing devil's advocate would be, do you just, do you kind of start the game letting Isaac see if he can, you know, bang a couple shots and then kind of go your way if he doesn't? Or, you know, because I think that would be a significant thing if, if they continue to sag off of Isaac and he starts making a couple threes, I think that would change very much, you know, the respect factor and, that would change kind of the way that the Knicks would have to play. Or do you think it's just not even worth it to have him out there uh, and to give him a shot to take a couple threes? Well, I think it kind of depends on on how the Knicks are going to play it and how they're going yeah. to attack it. Because yeah. I think the Knicks understand that, you know, Darius is an accomplished enough player. Um, he's a good enough player that you can't just throw the same defensive coverage at him over and over and over again, right? Right. Um, just like you can't throw the same defensive coverage at um, Donovan Mitchell over and over and over again. But I'm talking about in terms of when the traps come to Darius and Donovan, when they're throwing two at those guys to try and take the ball out of their hands, like immediately, um, then I think you make that kind of counter. You make that kind of adjustment. But the one thing that I just don't think the Cavs can afford to do is look at Isaac and say, he's not knocking down threes. It's restricting our space on offense. We've got to take him off the court because I just think he's too valuable to what they need to do in this series on the defensive end of the floor. And I'm working on this piece for tomorrow morning about this very topic. And I was given some stats um, from people that I know that have access to stats that we don't have access to. Um, When Isaac Okoro was on the court, the Cavs were plus 13. When he was off the court, they were minus 25.7. When he was on the court, their defensive rating was 87. 
when he was um wait hold on yeah when he was on the court their defensive rating was 87 when he was off the court it was 130 yeah so like he's their best chance at slowing down Jalen Brunson he's their best chance at continuing to win games on the defensive end of the floor and I just think he gives them too much at that end and too much in terms of the little things for them to look at him and say he's a minus offensively um we've got to go away from him completely yeah I don't I think, think that I, would be a panic move yeah I don't think Isaac being off the floor would help them I really don't um you know, like you said, it's a defensive first team, and and that's Isaac is, if not one of the be- you know, maybe not the best defender, uh, but one of the better defenders on that team, probably top three, um, you know, after Isaac and or excuse me, after Evan and uh, Jared Allen. You touched on on something that is very significant. I mean, Josh Hart is doubtful for game two. He has an ankle yep. injury. Um, he was the catalyst for the Knicks in game one. I mean, played his butt off and kind of. Hit the three that I think really changed the game. That that three pointer that he hit with the clock running, the shot clock running down. I mean, all momentum was on Cleveland's side. They played a great defensive possession. You know, he hits the shot with seconds left on the shot clock, and that kind of turned everything back in New York's favor. So not only did he do that, he was great on the offensive glass. He was great in general. If they don't have him, that's a significant, significant loss for Game Two. I mean, look, Josh Hart had five offensive rebounds himself. He had 10 rebounds in the game. He outscored the entire Cavs bench by himself, 17 to 14, by the way. Um, It was 37-14 overall for the Knicks. 17 of that came from Josh Hart. Because Emmanuel Quickly, who is getting um, some love for sixth man of the year, did absolutely nothing on the offensive end in game one. So, yeah, I mean, that would be a huge blow to the Knicks. They've, They've taken off and become this team in large part because of the trade that they made at the deadline to acquire somebody like Josh Hart. He impacts the game in a variety of ways. He makes winning plays. The clutch shot that he made on one leg basically was a backbreaker. It was as good as you could play it defensively for the Cavs. And he just like makes a shot that, you know, that's a shot that Jalen Brunson, Donovan Mitchell make. That's not really a shot that Josh Hart makes, except for he made it in that particular moment. So. Um, I, I think, though, based on the fact that the Knicks already came here and won game one and took home court, like they might look at it and say, we can be a little bit more cautious because after game two, we get three more days for him to heal up that ankle. Whereas if we force him back onto the court, we don't play it safely. Maybe it's something that can linger throughout the course of this series. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it makes a lot of sense. You know, they're going back to New York and get kind of their uh, their best medical guys back at, or their, excuse me, he can get the best care uh, probably back in New York where, uh, you know, where they have their team doctors and whatnot. Um, yeah, that, that would be a significant, significant blow. Um, and you yeah. mentioned it as well. We talked to, uh, we talked about it for just a moment. Evan Mobley uh, finishes third in defensive player of the year voting. So you voted him first. Um, as did other people. seven other people did. Yeah. yeah, Seven other people did. So, um, a disappointment or kind of just something that kind of happened and, and you try again soon or next year. Pretty much what I expected. Yeah. We talked a little bit about this. 
um, you know, I think the thing that played itself out is that um, if you, if you look at the way that it goes, it's it's five points for first place, it's three points for second place, and it's one point for third place, and then it adds up the total points, right? I just think there were more people that were going to have a hard time completely leaving off Jarrett and Jackson Jr. or Brooke Lopez when it came to their ballot. And there was enough people that were going to say, like, okay, Evan's only 21 years old. Maybe the Cavs do have the number one defense in the NBA, but is it him? Is it Jaron Jackson? Or is it um, Jared Allen? Is it um, Isaac Okoro? Whereas when you're talking about Memphis, like it is Jaron Jackson Jr. Like the yeah. reason why they were right there, top four in defense is because of him. And I just think there were less people that were willing to completely leave Jaron Jackson Jr. off their ballot. And it played itself out that kind of way. Like I trying to do the math right now in my head, 56 plus 35 is 91 plus six is 97. So like people just weren't willing to leave him off the ballot completely with Evan. It was eight plus 10. That's 18 plus 31 is 49. Right. Yeah. 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 49. So he was left off like a bunch of ballots and he just didn't get the compilation of total points that those other two guys were always going to get. Because I think there was like enough of a debate about like who else could we put on the ballot at number three? What about Draymond Green for the Warriors? Right. Like what about Giannis for the Bucks? What about Bam Adebayo, who is like one of the best switch bigs in the NBA in the same kind of mold as Evan Mobley and all that stuff? It seemed like played itself out. Yeah, it was good for Evan to get national recognition and, you know, a big step. Youngest I mean, finalist big, ever. Like, yeah, that's big, no joke. Big step. Big step. Well, he's looking for another step in this series, looking to take a better or have a better game in game two. Uh, Chris, I want to ask the question before we, you know, I, we want to keep these short because we will talk to you again tomorrow night after game two. Um, yeah. But heading into game two, um, what, how can the Cavs win game two? How can the Cavs play their be- better, play a better game and, and, be the team that needs that they can be to beat the Knicks. I don't think they have to do that much that's drastically different, right? right. And we talked yep. about this a little bit following the game. Um, they just have to close the gap um, a little bit in some of the areas where the Knicks have an advantage. Um, one of the issues going into the series is that some of the Cavs' weaknesses, many of their weaknesses were the Knicks' strengths. The Cavs aren't great when it comes to defensive rebounding. The Knicks are great on the offensive boards. Um, The Cavs have a thin bench. Uh, The Knicks have one of the best benches in the NBA. Uh, The Knicks' top two players, Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle, have been there, done that. They weren't going to be phased by the moment in any sort of way. Um, Darius Garland's still finding his way in the playoffs. Evan Mobley's still finding his way in the playoffs, um, Tom Thibodeau versus J.B. Bickerstaff, a level of inexperience when it comes to the Cavs in that realm, too. Um, a lack of two-way wings, something that the Knicks have and the Cavs don't. So I don't think they have to do that much drastically better. Um, their, their starters 
their top four guys that you would think are the ones who are going to carry a big burden throughout the course of the series outplayed the Knicks. Um, I, I think the easiest path to them finding a way to get game two beyond cleaning some things up and not giving up 17 offensive rebounds and 23 second chance points. Um, they got to get something of value, some kind of consistency off the bench. Karis yeah. Levert's got to be better. This is somebody who came in with nine games of playoff experience. This is somebody who was rolling into the playoffs. He was coming off his best stretch as a Cavalier one of seven and looking completely out of place. That's not good enough for somebody like Karis LeVert, who has a big role on this team. No, it certainly is not. I mean, he looked just discombobulated and and did not look to be under control whatsoever. So again, maybe, maybe maybe it is a, go ahead, go ahead. ahead. No, I said, maybe it is as simple as just playing in that game, getting the jitters out and getting ready to go for game two. I mean, I think, you know, I'm not saying that, that Cleveland doesn't have more to do than that, but I mean, that's, that could be a huge part of it. And it's not like the Cavs need Karis LeVert to be Darius Garland or Donovan Mitchell, right? No. It's not like the Cavs need Ricky Rubio to be Darius Garland. It's just don't be as woeful as you were in game one, where it looked like these guys were completely unplayable. Yeah. Three of the four from the bench were uh, looked atrocious. I mean, Dean Wade, Dean Wade didn't look like he wanted to be there. Ricky Rubio, just, you know, not what you need. Karis LeVert, not what you need. Jetty gave him a good night. Jetty did. And, you know, I don't think you're going to get, maybe you will, but I don't know if you're going to get that kind of performance in game, in game two. I mean, I don't know if, I don't know if that's something you can expect from Jetty on night and night out basis, the way that he shot from three, the way that he, you know, was able to, at least, as you said, put himself in front of Jalen Brunson. So these other guys got to step up. And that's kind of why I mentioned, you know, may, yes, Danny Green, I'm not saying he's the be all end all savior of the series. Right. But if you need a if you need a basket and you need a boost, I mean, yeah, the defensively, it's not going to be good. But either he or Lamar Stevens or somebody to, to just give them give that bench that spark and kind of ignite that second unit. I mean, if it's not going to be Ricky, if it's not going to be, you know, Dean, if it's not going to be. Jetty, um, you needed to yeah. be Karis because you needed to be Karis because Karis is your sixth best player or maybe even your fifth best player. Um, and, you know, you're going to need something else. So it'll be very interesting to see, you know, how the bench plays. I think that's kind of one of the other big things I'm looking at for tomorrow. Yeah, the problem is, um, and we talked about this too immediately after the game, and I wrote about this for Cleveland.com. Every decision that J.B. Bickerstaff has when it comes to strengthening the bench and finding a consistent rotation is an either-or preposition. There just isn't anybody on that bench that is like, you give us everything that we're lacking. You give us everything that we would need in this particular series. Maybe Danny Green does have a flash moment where he hits a couple of threes and he provides movement to the offense, and he spaces the floor. But what are you going to give up on the defensive end when you've got him out there? Yep. Um, Lamar Stevens, okay, go to him. He brings some toughness, some aggressiveness, some leadership, that dog mentality, but he's undersized, doesn't give you a whole lot of offense. Some of the spacing issues that you have with Isaac Okoro are just going to be there with Lamar and maybe more so because he probably doesn't have 
as much playmaking off the dribble as somebody like Isaac could. Um, and then you just keep going down the list, right? And you run into those same issues over and over and over again. Um, there's a reason why the Cavs have the third lowest scoring bench in the entire NBA. There's a reason why the Cavs went out at the trade deadline and tried like hell to trade for Bogdanovich from the Atlanta Hawks and Royce O'Neal from um, the Brooklyn Nets and why they made a call about Cam Johnson of the Brooklyn Nets and Bogdanovich of the Detroit Pistons, right? Like they knew it was problematic and they tried to address it and they just didn't have the pieces to get any of those trades across the finish line. So sometimes like sometimes you have weaknesses. Um, Boston has flaws, right? Milwaukee has flaws. Philly has flaws. But can you mask them enough to get by? That's what it comes down. Like, there's no way that we're going to look at this series, Hayden, and say the Cavs bench is going to outplay the Knicks bench. Yeah. Because, like, there's no evidence that points you in that direction. The Knicks bench is better. That's the reality of it. The Knicks are a better offensive rebounding team. But can you, like, find other areas to exploit with them? And can you bring that gap a little bit closer in your favor? That's the thing. While also understanding that your top four are better than their top four. Yep. It's true. It's true. I think that's a perfect way to sum it up. I think it's a perfect way to sum it up. Like you said, you don't need huge changes. You just need to be a little bit better. And kind of each individual thing that they really um, can hone in on. Um, as you mentioned, offensive boards, physicality. Um, yeah. Maybe a little bit of, you know, a little bit of everything. So it's it, it sets up a good game, too, for tomorrow night. Cavaliers taking on the New York Knicks. 7.30 p.m., I believe, Chris, tomorrow. Is that right? Yep. My, it is 7.30. Okay. Yep. 7.30 p.m. tomorrow. So we will uh, we will be there, and we will provide you instant post-game. In, or not instant. We got to do the press conferences, and Chris has got to write some <laughs> stuff. But it'll be, uh, it'll, be, it'll be right after the game. How about that? It'll be after the game at some Close point. Enough. Close enough. Exactly. Um, in the meantime, sign up for Chris's subtext, $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial. Click the blue banner at the top of the page uh, of cleveland.com slash Cavs. In the meantime, Chris, I know you get some more. You want to finish some writing. Um, we will get this podcast up shortly, and uh, we will see you for game two. Cleveland Cavaliers, New York Knicks, game two at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, 7.30 p.m. Cavs need this one because I think we can both agree. If they go down 0-2, they oh. are in massive trouble. Massive trouble. It's it's a long series. It's the first to four. It's a seven-game series. And you can say all those things about not overreacting, not panicking, da-da-da-da-da-da. Go down 0-2 and then head to New York. No. Uh-uh. Yeah, um, there, it's there's going to be a big old panic button. Yeah. Yeah. It's as close to a must-win as you can get for a game two, especially with this kind of team. You know, a team that has been very, very different on the road versus at home. A team that is right. very, very young and experienced or inexperienced going to Madison Square Garden for a yeah. game three. Um, a building that has been waiting for that kind of moment. Like, for this kind of team, going down 0-2 would be a complete disaster. Yeah, game three is going to be nuts. I don't, I don't think there's any other way to say Completely it. Completely I mean, nuts. Just, I mean that atmosphere is going to be crazy. So yeah. yeah, they 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 got to they they got to win uh tomorrow night. That's the bottom line as you yeah. mentioned. All right. 
In the meantime, like I said, check out Chris's subtext, $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial. Go to cleveland.com slash Cavs. Click the blue banner at the top of the page. And we will get back to you tomorrow night after the game right here on the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. A lot of podcasts this week, but a lot of coverage from cleveland.com. Uh, so check it all out. Appreciate you, Chris. We will see you tomorrow night. Thanks, everybody.